Welcome, one and all, to the Games and That Podcast, the show where we share our opinions on all things gaming with you, our wonderful audience, in hopes to create a positive community where gamers, both casual and hardcore alike, can share their own thoughts, opinions, and experiences. I'm Andrew Fiak. And I'm Brandon Carnahan. Welcome once again, everybody. We back. We back. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? You know, hanging in there. Special guest today on the podcast. Uh, if you're watching the video version of the podcast, you might be wondering, hey, Andrew, why are you so laxed over there on the video? Well, I got my cat. <laughs> He's uh, decided to sleep on my uh, on my lap all the time. So we're going to chill with him. Hey, and we're going to chat Division 2. Ooh. Finally. The game we've been waiting for. The game that we definitely haven't talked about twice on the show already. Uh, we're going to talk about it one more time because is it that good? Mm. Is it? Is it really? Maybe. I don't know. But before we get into it, Brandon. Andrew. I think the future is nigh. Oh, the future is getting here. The future is getting here. Um, so I think we actually, we might have mentioned this last week. Um, mm-hmm. they, we did actually, because they had released the, uh, the render of the controller based on the patent for the, uh, right. the Google streaming video game technology, which we now know is called Stadia, Google Stadia. Um, okay. I, yeah, I don't know. Sure. Sounds like it wants it to be stadium, but. Didn't quite Sounds like something you might catch during a certain <laughs> act, but okay. Um, well, that puts a whole different spin on things. <laughs> but uh, so, anyways, uh, on I guess it was Thursday, last Thursday at uh, at GDC, they talked some details about what it is. And uh, some some other outlets got some hands-on time. So I was watching a couple of videos and reading some articles just to kind of get a better idea of, you know, what this stuff actually is. And uh, <clears throat> one second here, my stream. Is, are you seeing our stream all right now, Andrew, for you? Yeah, I see it. Okay. My views just looks like it's a little bit delayed. I just want to make sure we weren't going to start the show with things all jacked up like we've been known to do in the past. No, my friend, we are live. Cool, 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 cool. So anyways, back to the uh, topic at hand here. Um, Google Stadia, as we know, is the official name Again. of... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the official name of Google streaming platform, previously known as just simply Project Stream. Um, Better name? Hmm. <laughs> marginally, marginally, they're 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 like two sides of like an, a coin of eh, right? One's a little bit too on the nose. One's a little bit too off the nose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, anyways, I guess they when they kind of laid out their their ideas or their their vision for this technology, and uh, essentially, 
it relies heavily on YouTube's existing infrastructure. So you're not, it's not like traditional game streaming services where you have like a box that's, you know, processing the input and connecting your controller and stuff. You are basically playing uh, what amounts to like an interactive video stream. So it's going to just be like a layer on top of existing YouTube stuff. So um, I think the, the video that they showed it had, or at least the video that I watched from uh, Digital Foundry, uh, kind of gave this impression that, you know, you could be watching the trailer for a game. And then at the end where they would typically show you ads for like the website for the game, like the pre-order and, you know, their social media and stuff, um, they would put a like a play button onto um you know, those ads like at the end of the video and it would basically just take you straight into That's your stream of the game. And then I think they said their goal was to get you from like that click and into the game within like five to 10 seconds. So it's just like turning on your console and it should come up very quickly. Um, on that digital foundry video, they did some comparisons as far as um, the start time from Google stream compared to an Xbox one X and the uh, the Google Stream it booted up significantly faster. I think it took it somewhere around like ten seconds to actually like load into the game, and then the Xbox One X took about twenty four seconds to get to that same spot. Mm. Um, now, with that said, was there a dip, a noticeable dip in quality in terms of resolution, frame rate? Etc. On so, either the console itself. So or they're saying that the the target is that it should be able to stream 4K HDR, um, 60 frames per second. Um, the should should the okay. I guess the build of Project Stream. I think it was only capping out at 30, but this apparently this um, like newer version of it that they were showing showcasing at GDC. Um, was closer to 60 and it looked pretty good. They did a side-by-side -side of a capture from an Xbox One X with the, the now Stadia version mm. of uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which has kind of been like their benchmark, I guess, which it's a pretty good-looking game, so it, it's, it's not a bad choice. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty action-heavy, too, um, just like with the fighting. It's also it's like good measure for very memory-intensive. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. It is. It's huge, and it's doing so much at once with so many NPCs. That's actually a really good benchmark game mm -hmm. for something like that. Um, but when they showed the side by side, I mean, they were really, really close in terms of quality. Um, you could tell that the Stadia footage was just slightly compressed, but it wasn't like as obnoxious as you would think it would be, being that it's a streaming video. Um, I would say that it's on par with. Uh, like if you were to, were to stream something in 4K on like Netflix and compare it to an actual like 4K Blu-ray where mm -hmm. they're pretty close. But, you know, the Netflix one's not true 4K because it's compressed. Um, but it, it was it was pretty close. I, I was impressed with how close the two actually were in terms of quality. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't from what they sh had showed in, in this digital foundry video, it didn't look like it was super um, like stuttery or anything like that. It looked fairly smooth. Um, the I think the big like key part of their technology that works in their favor is that because it's strictly just like an interactive stream, um, your client and your server hardware are in the same spot essentially. So yeah. there's very little 
input lag between those two, it's all going to come down to your connection speed less than, or as opposed to, you know, having that extra hardware aspect to it. Um, and apparently they did some tests as far as the input latency goes. And I want to say that it was about like 150, 160 milliseconds and an Xbox one X is like 145 to 150. So it's (laughs) comparable input lag for an Xbox one X that would actually be like in your living room connected to your TV. That's definitely a fear I have is input lag. Yeah. Especially if it's something that is totally dependent on your internet service or your internet provider. Yeah. I think that's why if if somebody who doesn't have fiber optic connection or fiber optic internet, are they at a total loss compared to somebody who is just still doing modern cable or ethernet still, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's the big concern is that it hinges very heavily on the user's um, internet connection. So, um, and you know, you might be in a situation where, you know, depending on where you live, you may not ever be able to get internet that's fast enough for what you need because it's not available in your neighborhood or your, your apartment or, or wherever the case may be. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think that that's a, a whole nother issue just with the, the way that internet, uh, works in the U S but I think the minimum, uh, that they said was somewhere around um, 50 megabits, 25 to 50 for like a good experience. I think like yeah. the absolute bare minimum was like 25, which I know in some places that's like kind of pushing it. We're fortunate around here, but I know that there's other places that like 25 was like a dream. Right. Like there's some, there's some places and people that I know that are just never going to reach the 4k Netflix quality right. streaming. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about the games? Is it, Does that mean that people are stuck at 720p and it might be a better viable option for them to just buy an Xbox One, buy a build a PC, buy a PlayStation 4? Yeah, I think that's and, ultimately going to come down to, like visually it's going to come down to how much can you stomach the compression versus, um, you know, how much are you willing to spend to have all those pixels rendered, you know, in-house? Right. And I think we were talking about this earlier. It, the more that we talk about it and now the more that we've seen from it, I don't think this is a product for people like you and I who would rather invest in the hardware and be able to have the visuals and performance that we would want, mm-hmm. regardless internet connection and you know online games, stuff like that. But rather, those who are looking to be able to step into that convenience versus yeah. performance, people well, this- who may not be ready to jump into PC building, but want to play PC games with their friends. Yeah. This definitely has whether a or not huge they're convenience factor to it because what they've basically outlined here is that, um, you know, any device, if it can stream, um, HD video, you should be able to play stadia on it. So whether that's a tablet, a phone, you know, a switch, um, you know, whatever computer, there's some there's some like baseline requirements, but it's essentially if it can stream um, HD video, you know, it'll do it. Yeah. Um, and the, the cool thing about that that they specifically mentioned was that if you are going to play this on like a TV, you know, their intended uh, living room device would be a Chromecast. So if you have like the actual Chromecast or if you have like a TV with Chromecast enabled, 
Um, I guess, you know, Stadia would be one of the uh, apps that you could install on it or you could, you know, start it on, you know, phone, tablet, whatever, and then throw it to the Chromecast and then it'll, you know, take over from there. Right. I was always, I was wondering if they were going to release like a smart TV app or something of the like box or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then you start adding hardware components to it and it's not like Netflix is throwing out hardware boxes out there. There's obviously third party companies like Roku Mm -hmm. and uh, NVIDIA has their own shield technology and things of that nature to do streaming services. But you know, what if I have a console too? Like what if I already have an Xbox? The, I think that, that would be up to I guess your uh, your console manufacturer at that point. Yeah, like I wonder if I wonder if Microsoft or Sony are going to have this on their consoles as an option to download and be able to utilize the Google streaming service, so that you're still buying the console. You still have the option to buy games, but let's say something comes out and you're like, eh, I'm 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 cold on it. I'm not really I'm lukewarm. Not mm-hmm. really hot on it. I don't need to go out and get it, but I do want to try it. My friends are playing it. You know, maybe you maybe Stadia is the the option that you jump into and you stream it and try it, and then maybe it's a kind of try and buy for you, or maybe you just get your fun out of it and then you put it away and be done with it. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting technology because right now as it stands, um, from what they've said about it, I don't, they haven't really touched upon would it be available on you an actual game console as an option. They mm-hmm. seem like they're kind of focused on like a non traditional or more like a. a devices that you would typically use to stream video. Um, but the only like required hardware aside from like the obvious, you know, screen aspect of it is, um, the controller itself, which I guess, uh, from what I've have, have read, it's, uh, it's comparable to, uh, an Xbox controller in size and in layout and like in terms of like the quality of the build, which the Xbox one controllers are pretty solid. So that's a good thing to hear that the controller doesn't feel like it's chintzy, um, mm. has all your normal buttons, um, and it has two extra buttons on it. So it has one for sharing. So you can stream through Stadia um, just like you would on you know Xbox and on PlayStation. And then the f- uh, second new button allows you to use uh, voice commands via Google Home. So it has a speaker built into it. That's cool. Yeah. To be able to say, hey, Alexa, play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And it right. fires up on your TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you don't even have to get up and push a button. Yep. And then uh, the controller itself, it connects to your devices via Wi-Fi rather Mm -hmm. than Bluetooth because they don't know what you're connecting to. So some devices may have Bluetooth. Some devices may not. Um, So it uses your Wi-Fi because obviously you have to be on some kind of an Internet service in order to, uh, you know, access the the video stream itself. So Mm -hmm. it sounds really really interesting as a concept. I definitely don't think that like you or I would be the target audience for this. Um, but I can think of, you know, friends that they would definitely, um, enjoy this, especially if the library itself is, you know, good in size compared to the, whatever the subscription fee is going to end up being. Um, I mean, if the, if the subscription fee isn't like too bad, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out getting it just to, to try it out and just have something to, you know, pop on or even um, this might be a nice alternative if you're going on like a trip and you know you're going to have Wi-Fi that's decent, you know, just take your controller with you and your Chromecast and, and call it a day. Not even that. Imagine if this comes to Switch. Oh, if it came to Switch, that would be huge, huge, especially with all this talk about um, Games Pass, you know, becoming available uh, on switch 
as a potential, you know, Master Chief Collection being released on Switch. Like, just lo- lots of options here and possibilities as far as um, this streaming game service. It kind of seems to be the uh, the next kind of, like, big thing as far as gaming goes. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what it's like because it, it could potentially save you a ton of money oh, for sure. <laughs> at the end of the day. For sure. It all depends on the use case scenario. The when is it viable to use it? Is it mm. more of an at home product? Is it more of a travel product? Is it something that I can use different controllers with? Am I mm. only limited to the Google controller or Google controller alternatives? You know, can I use a PlayStation controller if I want to? Can I use an Xbox controller right. if I want to? Um, I'm also curious how many first party, first party being Microsoft exclusive, Sony exclusive games, do you think we would ever see, if at all? come to a service like this i don't know i do know for sure that google is they've started their own game development company that's also true for this um the fact that ubisoft has made um odyssey available on here and Mm. i mean they've been heavily heavily featuring assassin's creed on here like again as their benchmark game um you know ubisoft is a big developer and it seems like they're getting behind it so i it wouldn't shock me if they kind of set that precedent for larger developers to make their stuff available on here. But as far as like Xbox and PlayStation exclusives, um, I would be more likely to um, argue that they would probably come up with their own stuff first. More so Sony. I feel like Microsoft, they're kind of in a position where they seem like they don't really care what you play their games on. They just want you to play their games. Yeah. So... I think the the money for that will come out of the back end, whatever kind of deals they work with Google to, you know, offer their stuff on uh, on their service. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hit you with two quick questions. Hit me. What are you most excited about? The one thing about Stadia and streaming games. Um. I think it's probably just a vast instant library is what I would be most excited about. Because like when you think about it, you know, as much as we talk about like the quality of everything, um, convenience factor is huge. When is the last time that you bought a DVD or a Blu-ray? The last time I purchased a DVD, not even. We'll put it this way. When was the last time that you put a DVD or a Blu-ray into any of the devices that can play a DVD (laughs) or a Blu-ray? Honestly, 2006, exactly, exactly. I think if this becomes viable where the input latency is low enough and the stream quality is good enough, I think it's going to be so convenient that, you know, the fact of of you're not rendering, rendering the pixels in your house, you know, under your TV or, you know, at your desktop, I think it's going to eventually become irrelevant because it's so convenient to have access to all this stuff. That's okay. what I'm most excited about is just the convenience factor. Okay. So because I'm lazy, I guess three, I guess three <laughs> questions. Cause another one came up. Okay. If this is moderately to mildly successful at the least, is this officially the death of retail game stores like GameStop, electronics, boutique, etc.? I mean, I think they're already on their way out just with digital storefronts. I mean, they, they their model is based on, uh, used game sales and what they can give you versus what they can sell it for. 
and mm-hmm. just the fact that GameStop, for example, they purchased um, ThinkGeek so that they could sell more, you know, tchotchkes and stuff like that in their stores to kind of keep the brick and mortar yeah. relevant. I think that speaks volumes. I think it, I think the writing is already on the wall, and I think this might be um, maybe not the nail, but it's definitely one in a series of nails in that coffin, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And my last question, what worries you the most about this? Uh, I think it's just uh, the, the input latency. Um, and then I think the, the how is what is this going to do for um, games where those low latency times are going to be really important and games like, uh, you know, multiplayer games, I think, is where we're going to see the most issue for this because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're playing like Apex Legends or, you know, any of these uh, Battle Royale games through a service like this where it's streaming, um, not only, I mean, there's just that split seconds make the difference between a win and a loss on these type of games. And um, yeah. I, I don't, I think, you know, your, your people that are really into those kind of competitive games, I don't think they'll ever really be fully into this because the the control as far as that latency goes, it's not really in their hands. Like there's nothing they can do hardware wise to improve that. It's all it comes down to their ISP. Right. So the, from a, a multiplayer angle is where that, that gives me the most pause about this technology. But as far as like single player games go, uh, I don't see it, you know, as a huge mm-hmm. you know deficit to it. Do you think Google starts partnering or and or do ISPs like Verizon, Cox, you know, Time Warner, whatever, do they start saying like the Sadia streaming service, like by our internet, we are the official streaming service of, or we are the official provider of Stadia. Um, do you think like Fi- like Verizon Fios is like, get Fios today. We are the ISP for Stadia. I don't think that that'll happen just because um, the ISPs that are available to you are really regional. True. Like I know like in like California, like your options are Cox <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Whereas like, I mean, yeah, if that's what you're into and you're in California, <laughs> yeah, you, you can get Cox if that's available for you, but, or like, um, what's another, there's a one that's not time Warner. It might, it might just, just be Warner. Um, yeah, I think or, Time Warner got absorbed by somebody. I, that yeah. may have been a. Like for example, really whenever example. I lived in Maryland, one of the providers was Armstrong. Armstrong is not a thing in Southwest PA. No. Just you know, mm. short four-hour drive from DC area. So I don't think that there's one any one ISP that's so all over the place that they could accurately say like this is the one spot where you can get Stadia. I think they would cut out too many of their users. I think yeah. that they would be more likely to uh depending on how all this stuff with net neutrality goes i think they would be more likely to uh make you pay a premium price to use it because this is very data intensive if you have data caps you'll blow through it so fast but yeah and let me let me rephrase that you make a good point not just isps but mobile carriers i mean verizon is is global and so is t-mobile and at&t and even though that they they do provide internet services both business class and residential. I mean, you're thinking now does Verizon not only just from an ISP, like Fios is the place to play Stadia. Like it's like, mm. it's like five, five G it's, it's six G L T E. The only way to play Stadia. 
for I the only gonna, Stadia streaming service. I think that's going to be determined by what the capabilities of you know five, six, seven, whatever the next generations of yeah. mobile technology is. Just because right right now, four G LTE, I don't think that it uh, provides the speed consistently for what you need. I think the technology the technology is caught up to what the requirements are. Could you, could you imagine what that meeting would be like when everybody's sitting around at Verizon and they're like, guys, we're already at 5G. What do we do next? What's the next marketing thing? <laughs> and a guy just walks up to the board and he just adds, he, he draws five Gs and then he looks back at everybody and then he draws one more G and then he draws a dollar sign <laughs> and everybody just applauds him and they stand up and they're like, get this man a raise. <laughs> Um, here's what my fear is, and maybe it's an irrational one, but it's what's I've noticed has happened to me recently with all of the different streaming services I have access to Hulu, YouTube, Spotify, Netflix, you name it, anything I can pay for that I get a monthly yearly subscription to. And I, I, I utilize it. This is what my fear is. It's game ADD. Because right now, the way that it works is you invest in a game. If you mm -hmm. want to play a game and you're not putting on an eye patch to play a game, if you invest in a game and you buy it up front, that's a $60 plus purchase. Right. For most AAA first party titles, uh, unincluding indie games and the like. That's something that you thus invest yourself in and you hop in and you play, regardless if you like it or you dislike it. And you put the time into it until you feel personally that you have invested $60 worth of your time into the game, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to give me a streaming service, it's the same thing that happens with Spotify when it, when a new artist I like releases an album or when Netflix comes out and they seemingly release half of a season of Arrested Development that I had no idea was coming out. I'm just going to hop in and hop out to something else just to get those. It, it's those quick fixes. It's that modern day mentality of, I just need tiny wins. I just need quick fixes. And thus, now that you've given me access to Assassin's Creed Odyssey, assuming it's a brand new game that comes out and I'm using Stadia, I'm going to hop in and out rather than hop in and spend my time there yeah. and actually play the game when I could just go the second I feel disinterested, Instead of pushing through that until I find the moment that, that locks me in, I'm just going to go to the next thing and try something else. Like, I'll go play NBA 2K15, and then I'll go play... I actually have know. a very uh, comparable anecdote related to that. Okay. Um, so, back in probably 2008, 2009, maybe 2007, even as far back as then, um, I had a subscription to Gamefly. And that is exactly what happened what you just described because i was not actually buying the games i was just paying the subscription service for uh gamefly if a game didn't immediately hook me after like maybe 30 minutes it was just like in the envelope in the, in envelope. the mailbox yep. wait for the next one on my list to come back and that's why i got rid of it because there was a lot of games where um you know after i had sent them back i was like you know if i probably would have just put a little bit more time into it i really think that i could have enjoyed it especially mm -hmm. after talking to people about those same games right um i definitely think people who probably purchased the game yes not even just rented it or right. got it from gamefly right 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 i mean even if it like even if like you're given a free game 
I feel like because you always have access and you know that you're, you're always going to have access to it, there's no like there's no trade off. You don't have to really decide, OK, well, if, if I hold on to this game and try to put it in, put another, you know, hour or two into it, uh, that's another hour or two plus the shipping back and forth time for a game that I'm, I'm missing mm-hmm. out on. You have it there with you. It's, it's only a matter of, you know, uh, the time investment itself. So you don't there's no there's no drawback to not playing it as well as there's no drawback to playing yep. it. If you play it, you might like it. If you don't play it, you can always come back to it. Whereas with right. something like Gamefly, um, you know, not, I mean, it's not that it's a bad service. It just, for me personally, I just kind of ran into that thing where if, if it didn't hook yep. me immediately, I was just like, all right, I'm not getting this instant gratification in the envelope back to the warehouse to get the next thing right. on the list. And that, and I guess I, I agree with you. And I guess the point that I'm making it, it may be a little bit of a stretch is, does develop does the development cycle now become even more so of the tiny win factor that give me the tiny win so that I feel like I'm progressing I feel like I'm leveling up I feel like I'm gaining new things I'm learning new things does that now change because people can easily hop in and out of stuff and not be wasting $120 for two games but rather 15 20 bucks for an entire library right that could be hundreds upon hundreds of games. How do you get people to stick with your game and finish your game? Even if it's like, a oh, but you've just got to stick with it for two hours and yeah. then you get to the real game or something like Division that we're going to talk about. It's like, just wait till you hit level 30. Then the real game starts. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that people are going to play till level 30 with a streaming service and be stuck with a game like this with just so much at their fingertips. Right. I can't even how, get through with how fast games come out in comparison to like movies and TV shows. Absolutely. I can't even listen through a full album on Spotify without getting through a couple songs and saying, I just need to change a pace. I need yeah. something different now, or I just need to see what my daily discovery playlist is, or I need to see what my, my daily mix two is. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even, you know, a band comes out with a brand new album and I want to listen to it start to finish. I have to push myself through it to do it without yeah. getting song ADD. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like with a game streaming service. Well, the other thing, the other kind of issue that that makes me think of is so I know that Netflix, they kind of have they've been in interviews like with the execs and stuff. They've kind of said that um, <clears throat> they're not worried about, you know, churning out with their original content. They don't need everything to be. 10 out of 10 uh, mm-hmm. they say it's somewhere like a 7 out of 10 is good enough because it's so convenient and it's so easy to access they get just as much viewership from a 7 out of 10 movie as they do on a 10 out of 10 movie but they're putting in a lot less effort and a lot less resources to make that 7 out of 10 versus the 10 out of 10 so right to and me, that could that could benefit those types of games right well but to me that that worries me about the overall quality of what we would see if this should move towards the streaming paradigm where you have all these games always available to you. Is that going to affect the quality of what we get? Because then the publishers who are already putting out stuff that's buggy and unfinished, you know, five and sixes out of tens, if you want to put it in terms of, uh, of that metric, um, do they begin to care even less than they seemingly already do? How is right. that going to, you know what I mean? Because if they if they can get just as much, you know, screen time out of a game that's not that great versus a game that's awesome, because really all they're vying for is 
the subscription fee, not the actual like sales of an individual title. Right. Definitely a, a, yeah, a, that's whole, a really good point. Whole nother bag of cats with this. And it just as we kind of talk about it more and think about it more and compare it to what we already have as far as streaming goes, there's a lot of strange variables that I don't think people might immediately consider. I'm sure the, mm-hmm. the powers that be have, but as far right. as someone like you and I. Well, it's hard because I have I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. I've never used a live game streaming service. I've never paid somebody X amount of dollars to have access to an unlimited library, seemingly, of games. Yeah. Now, I know how it works with TV and movie. I can tell you right now that I have a subscription to Hulu. I've never used Hulu. I never log into Hulu because maybe I'm just not as much into binging TV shows. But with Netflix... I've had the opportunity to watch movies I would have never even heard of, let alone gone and seen in a theater and paid a 10 to $15 ticket to see. Yeah. Not only that, it allows me to have the nostalgic factor of going back and watching movies I've seen before multiple times Yep. because they're just there at my fingertips. I didn't have to go out to a store and buy them from a dollar bin. Again, it's just right convenience factor is huge. It's the convenience factor. So there's, totally pros and cons and i think they're going to be identical to a netflix or a hulu and my my hope as a gamer especially as somebody who likes to play games with other people online with service games i hope it widens and broadens that player base because everybody deserves to play games like these but obviously the paywall is the worst thing about it so as long as the paywall for this subscription service is viable and it's the, the streaming is is viable. It's steady. It works. It doesn't, you know, lag often. The input lag's not that bad. Considering the internet connection you have and, you know, you're okay with playing a game in 720-480 versus a, a 1080 or a 1440. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to see a downside. I just worry that the numbers that come out of this from a development standpoint of how often people are playing a game, how much they're playing a game, uh, how many people are, are going in and how long they're spending in it, so to speak, is going to affect the development of games in the future because now we're going to have access to, to statistics that we've never had before. Right. Yeah. Because and I know seen. what that's and right. And if you want to draw a very, very far comparison, if I'm talking about mobile games, Look at how the mobile game market affected the console, PC, AAA, first-party indie game market. Yeah, they're chasing the whales to get all those little microtransactions. They don't need everybody to buy every little thing. They just need a few people that are going to buy every little thing and just nickel and dime those people. Right. Somebody's going to figure out how to get people to play their game more so than everybody else via Mm -hmm. a streaming service that they pay for. And people are going to be like, why... Why isn't everybody playing our game? Look at these numbers. These are awful compared to this other company. And then everybody's just going to want to do whatever that company did. Yep. And that might be that dopamine kick of little tiny wins. Little. And it, 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 I, I just worry it's going to become another mobile market. Yeah. No, I and maybe it won't. At all. Maybe this really is that that national museum of history streaming service where it's like oh look at this library i have access to of Mm -hmm. past and present games and be able to share it with people and say what you've never played that go play that now that you have stadia you have no excuse or the people like our friends in our lives who don't have plate who don't have pcs and didn't do 
the high end investment to do that. But now we can play games with them because all they need to do is pay 20 bucks a month and be able to play those services with us. Right. It's so hard. It's so hard to want to love it. I do. I love the idea of it because the more games I can get in other people's hands, the better. Yeah. I I don't think that like traditional like hardware based gaming. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, No, there's there's with anything like like this where you have people that have that hobbyist mindset, you're always going to have people that would rather DIY or, you know, build their own stuff and tweak every little last setting to get every last frame per second out of their build. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's going to go away. I think that they're going to have to coexist just like with, with, um, with video and with audio, you have people that are very into like their home theater builds and having, you know, the, the best Blu-ray player, you know, it just, so that they have like that home experience. They want that experience of controlling every little aspect and making it perfect mm-hmm. or getting that, super awesome head unit that they can tweak all the the highs and lows and set up all of their levels for everything with this awesome, crazy headset that they have or this crazy surround system that they have. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have those people that want to have control over all that stuff because buying those little bits and bobs and putting them together and making them work the way you want to, that's where they get that extra level of enjoyment. And it's not for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. But I don't think that they're not, you know, those two subsets of people, you're, you're never going to have all of just one or all of the other. You're always going to have a viable market for both. Right. But my, I guess to just to counter that, that population dwindles so much after time. Take cars, for example. Oh, for sure. Car, oh, for sure. Yeah. Cars were the things that you could, you could make it your own. People would love suit up their muscle cars. They would buy beaters, fix them up factory reissue you know there's there's that very small subset community that still today works on cars even though the convenience factor is there mm-hmm. to just go to a to go somewhere and buy a computer car that drives itself and then you're done yeah at the end of the day convenience is going to win over the majority always yeah i think and, that's just kind of the general like uh, mindset of society yeah. convenience is is paramount over everything yeah yeah, I said to my girlfriend today, we were getting at we were getting in sparked it, but I said to her, I said, 10, 15 years from now, we're gonna have no reason. Else. Yeah. And that includes working, jobs, groceries, potential family, children, school, education. There's gonna be no reason for us to get off our lazy butts except to go from the couch in the living room to the <laughs> bed in the in the bedroom and maybe the toilet on certain occasions. <laughs> It's going to be like, (laughs) (laughs) we're just going to be fat, oblique shapes saying bathroom and then toilets are going to just go under our butts. And then especially once, especially as as VR technology gets better, we'll just be constantly in our fat bodies with our heads. Oh, perfect. I'll be pooping in my bathroom, but I'll Mm -hmm. actually be in like the Virgin Islands with all my pooping on the beach. (laughs) <laughs> with the slim Man, avatars of all of the people that you beautiful know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the future's weird well, future's weird but you know we're just gonna weigh down the earth so much that we throw ourselves off the axis <laughs> at least the united states <laughs> and then that's just gonna be our demise <laughs> and then we're just gonna have to go up into a spaceship and hopefully a trash compacting robot is viable enough to save us all from distinction. That, that little boot with the 
And by distinction, I mean extinction, because (laughs) that was the wrong word to say. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least you caught it. That's all that matters. Yeah, well, I try. It's a podcast. It's live. What are you going to do? Yeah. Wow, that was a whole lot of in that. That was a lot of in that. But you know what? I think that's a great discussion because this, whether we like it or not, this is the future of gaming. Agreed. Agreed. It's definitely moving towards that. And and I think uh, especially with this where they're outright saying like, Hey, we're doing streaming and then Microsoft with their games pass and saying that they want Xbox live on everything. It's definitely seeming like this is, this is the lane that a lot of these big names are kind of, you know, shifting into. And, uh, I think it's going to end up being a case of you're, you're either rolling with the pack or you're going to get left behind. Regardless what anybody thinks about any company, they just want you to play their games exclusively and yes. they just want you to spend money on their stuff. Yep. And if that has to mean taking out the home console to get everything they develop into your hands for a nominal fee, I think that's the future. Yeah. We're going to be looking back on this in 10 years and going, do you remember when we had entertainment centers? Yep. <laughs> Everything's just going to be a wall. Yep. You're not yep. even going to put stuff on it. You're like, you you might display your consoles on a shelf and just be like, wow, you still have an Xbox one. Like, yeah, look at it. It probably still <laughs> works. If you plug it in, it's yep. like, what are we going to put it on? Cause we're all floating everywhere. <laughs> Our hover chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> put it on the hover chair. <laughs> Pull that hover chair over. Get the hover stool. So this is so interesting because I think this is just a, a door that's being open into what the summer and fall and winter are going to bring for us. I, this is, this is amazing because this is the time where we're turning that corner pretty sharply. I yeah, think this for the is last 10 years, a transitional phase for, for it's a transitional phase. The last 10 years, we've kind of pivoted, but we have not distinctly turned left or right or even gone backwards or forwards. It's been right. kind of plateaued for a while, steadily yeah. increased, maybe at the best. Yeah. So, this is something that we're literally taking out the hardware, the store. The, the transaction, the middleman, mm-hmm. we're going straight to the source. Yep. And it's like, as long as you just have the thing play. that does just click to do. Yeah. Just click. doesn't even matter. Saw a trailer. You like it. Watch it now. Play yep. it now. Buy it now. Eat it right now. Yep. So, is that a commercial for Debella's subs? Oh, is that a cheesesteak? You want it right now? Click the button. It prints a cheesesteak in your lap. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this is great. There's definitely some nights where I, I would like a, a, a printed cheese stick. <laughs> oh, and they're not few and far between, unfortunately. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. Well. Contrary to popular belief, we did actually play a video game this weekend. We did. We did. Uh, we didn't just plan for the future. We didn't build our bomb shelters, and we sure as hell didn't throw away our entertainment centers. In fact... We played the Division Two. The Division Two. Tom Clancy's the uh, Division Two. The, the full time. Yeah. Often gets it's his. <laughs> we had to get his permission to play it. Actually, we said, "Tom Clancy, can we see your Division Two? And, and he's like, "He has bestowed it upon us." Here you go. <laughs> so, Brandon and I, we've talked about the Division. We played both the private as well as the public betas, and I played the tech test. And you played the tech 30 test. minutes. 
<laughs> just enough to um, see what the performance changes were. That was really my goal. We've played one. a lot of division. So yeah, we really, have. I don't think we're going to spend too, too much time yeah. talking about the story and what it is and how it right. plays. Cause I, listeners of the show, uh, if you're new, Hey, if you're old, Welcome. yeah, sorry. We're going to talk about the division again. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's important up front to one provide a disclaimer that Brandon and I are not in the end game yet. No, we're not. Neither of us are level thirty. Yeah, so we have not been able to experience the strongholds, mm-hmm. any raids that they're releasing in the future, any of the super bounty stuff, all of these hunters and things that are happening. We haven't experienced any of that stuff. This is strictly story mode. Unlocking the world, right. PVE. We haven't touched the world yeah. tier stuff, PVE, PVP, PV, EVP stuff in the dark zone. Brandon, Andrew. with that said, <laughs> tell me about your thoughts on the division two so far. So far, so my first thing, this is you know, as someone playing this on PC, someone that has recently built PC within the last year, um, I I'm always interested to see you know, how things run. And for me, this game has just kind of consistently surprised me with how much improvement they've had with each iteration. So um, basically, if we kind of divide this into the four ways we've played it, the private beta, the tech test, the open beta, and then the full release, those three times in between those four releases, every single time I've seen a boost in performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that with the same settings, uh, overall, I've probably seen about a 20 frame per second boost overall from the very first private beta to this final release. Um, and that's even considering that my settings, I've not turned them down. I've turned them up in a lot of spots and I'm still getting better frames per second. So whatever voodoo they're doing over there to optimize things and and make things run more smoothly, they've got a very good hold on their engine and how they want this thing to run because it's super smooth and it's consistently been super smooth and it only keeps getting better. Um, That being said, from a tech perspective, what what do you, before we kind of jump into the game itself, what are your thoughts on that? This is the best running game I've ever played on PC day one. Normally, and this game has definitely had its fair share of silly moments. I call them where mm. ragdoll physics are a little weird and wonky. Uh, maybe I think there's one contamination zone I've come across. Have you come across a contaminated zone yet? Not yet. So a contaminated zone, there's a few of them from what I can gather. You basically run through a a contaminated area uh, where you have to put your mask on that's not the dark zone. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple phones that you need to collect. But in order to do so, you need to kind of figure out a very puzzle light mechanic of what doors do I open in what order? How do I open them? Kind of the shooting the lock or shooting the control box type thing. There's one in particular in the south. This is the biggest bug I've run into that I just can't finish and get it done with my map. I think I've collected all the phones there. There's no 
indication that I need to move forward to progress and get somewhere else. There seems to be a ladder on the building I can get to, but I, I can't from where I am. And I've looked it up. Other people have noted that it's it's a bug. There's uh, something that's keeping you from progressing in that area. Mm-hmm. With that said, this game has been flawless outside of that. Yeah. I've had no crashes. I've had no weird loss of progress stuff. I've had... Um, there have been a couple times where I've I've gained an item and then I've lost it. And that's because maybe I died in combat and then I had to go back to a respawn point and I no longer had that item. I've had a that specifically happened with a couple of paint jobs for guns and armor. Um, Interesting. I haven't been able to get those back yet. And it says that I've unlocked them, hmm. but I can't find them in my mod inventory to put them on my weapons. Interesting. So... Other than that, the game is flawless. Day one, I had no issues. It fired up just like it did in the betas. And I was even, to Brandon's point, I was able to dial it up a little bit and still maintain a stable frame rate. Yeah. So I was uh, very happy with that. Tech-wise, the only, I ran into one issue, and this was uh, pretty considerable. Um, I think on on Friday, Friday, Saturday, some somewhere around that time, they kind of... Um, dropped in just kind of like a hot fix. It was either that or like a day one patch of some kind. And yeah. it was they, it introduced a bug that had not been present in any of the previous builds where, and it wasn't something that happened every time either because I played Friday and didn't encounter it. Um, and I played a very small slice of time on Saturday and didn't encounter it. But all day Sunday when I was playing it, um, I came across it. And this bug, basically, you would use your skills and so like you would drop your turret down or, or pull the cord to make your drone pop out and it would fly or shoot for like maybe three, four seconds. And then it would just disappear, like not even like blow up like it does when you deactivate them manually. Mm-hmm. It would just disappear like it wasn't there. And then it would immediately start a 15 second timer to use it again. And at first I thought like, OK, am I just using it wrong or is it just like did something shoot it and it's just kind of like okay like you just deployed that so we're gonna just give you like a short cooldown so you can pull it out again it it was a bug and it was i guess it was around for the weekend but they fixed it on monday so while yes it's like a pretty big deal because skills are super important in this game they fixed it super fast and from what i've read and what i played yesterday it didn't introduce anything new so it didn't the fix didn't break anything as some right. usually will do. Um, so I will say that if if that is the their model as far as the turnaround on fixing those important issues like that, that uh, that says to me that they really care about what they're putting out because there have been similar kind of like game breaking or like severely reducing your enjoyment type bugs in like Fallout seventy six for example where some of them still haven't even been rectified or it took, you know, like close to like a month or several weeks for those things to be fixed. And then this on the week of their release, boom, two, three day turnaround tops. And it's, it's back to, you know, operating as yep. it should. So hopefully they stick with that model. Um, just by all indications for what they've changed between just the betas. Um, I don't, I don't feel like they would change that. In, in a negative no. way, I feel like they would keep doing what they've been doing. No, they've pushed out three patches, patches, not hot fixes, yeah, patches. patches since release. That's huge. 
this game came out last Tuesday to, to um, pre-order people who pre-ordered mm-hmm. and then Friday to the public. Right. They've pushed out three patches since then. That's nuts. Yeah, most games it, you don't even see three that, patches like that in, in the first, you know, six months of the game. In a lot, no, of they typically they typically collect feedback, they figure it out because, from an engine standpoint, it seems to be foundational for other games. Mm-hmm. It seems to be if something's wrong, it's at the core of the house, and we can't just take away the basement; the whole house is going to collapse. Right, we have to figure out how to switch the stones and the foundation, put the concrete back on, and then make sure that the house doesn't sway for a week, and then we can release it to the public. Yeah, they had said that they. This really has just been what's wrong on the fly change. Yeah. Yeah, this has been what's wrong? No big deal. Done. Yep. And when the when the servers are down, dude, when Bungie was used to say, hey, we're gonna be implementing the fix, the servers would be down for three to four hours. Yeah, and this is only down for a very short period of time. Half an hour. Yep. Every patch they've put out has been a half an hour, and there have been noticeable changes every time they've done it. Yeah. And they've fixed things. It's fantastic. Yeah. Very this good is, support. Uh, I mean, oh. it's it's almost sad to say it, but support this good is is pretty atypical of of what we've seen, at least uh, you know, end of last year and for most of this year. Yeah. Um, what else do you like wise, about it? What's that? Well, yeah, gameplay wise, um, the very first thing that I enjoyed was unlike most of these games where they give you a single player beta. Um, <clears throat> I mean, they start you off pretty much towards the beginning in the betas. Um, instead versus you know dropping you somewhere in the middle um, they still don't give away the full opening of the game the game actually opens in a much different way before it leads you into the you know the whole rescuing the the um, the people stationed at the White House which I thought was cool I mean it was a very small little slice but the uh, the story elements that they held back on in the betas that they'd only give you once you play the full game. Um, I was very appreciative of that, that that was kind of like an extra little surprise, an extra little hook. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, <clears throat> do you want to tell do you want to tell people what that is? Because I think that's significant. Yeah, I mean, it's really I mean, it's something you'll see, like literally within the first five minutes. Yeah, it's within the first 10 minutes. So we're going to try to keep it spoiler free here, but I do want to talk about this stuff. So when you start, so if you recall, if you played any of the betas or you saw like the character creation screen, like you're creating your character in like what looks like kind of like a shed. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're done creating your character, your character turns around and it walks towards the door in the back of the shed. The door opens up and you're in what appears to be like just some kind of like more rural area of Maryland. You get into this little yeah. like almost like... um like dockside town and there's like, you know, the, the big Maryland crab hanging out there and um, you're fighting off waves of attackers in this settlement. They're like raider types. And um, as you're fighting them off, um, they start saying that there's, you know, unknown contacts in the water. So you like rush over to the docks and with your, one of your division agent counterparts who I don't think mm-hmm. at that point is named. I don't know if this person comes back. Um, I think they're named in the subtitles, but I don't they? think they introduce okay. themselves. Yeah. So you go over and then all of a sudden there's just like this big EMP blast. Like she had set a turret up on the, uh, the crates that you're taking cover behind and the turret just like droops down, deactivates. 
your division watches go off, the little beacon on the shoulder, all that stuff that normally like doesn't ever shut off shuts off. Right. Which There's is like a massive EMP. Super blast. ominous because that stuff, yeah. from what I understand with the lore of the game, like that stuff is built to, you know, withstand a lot of that stuff. So whatever set this off is significant. When your stuff finally reboots, the coordinates that pop up on your uh, watch is the coordinates for DC, which kudos to that person for being able to know exactly what those coordinates corresponded to. Um, but I think it actually ends up being the coordinates to the White House, which whenever you yeah, get there. Yeah, they, they are the base of operations coordinates. coordinates. Yeah. Um, but she's like, oh, well, you know, it's DC. It's important. Like, I have to, if we can't both go, you go, I'll, I'll deal with the situation here. And then, like, shows these, like, futuristic looking boats um off in the water just kind of like looming in the distance and they aren't like attacking or really like shooting anything they're just kind of like there the thing that they did uh very uh, ominous yeah the thing that they appear to have done is set off that emp which was then followed by the uh distress call from what's left of the division in the uh nation's capital and then Mm -hmm. moves into a cool montage where it's showing you like all these shots of DC and ruins. And then it basically picks up, um, right where the, the betas began, where you're like outside of the, like the mall, um, walking up to the white house to, to get in there and fight off the mm-hmm. hyenas that have besieged it. Yep. But I thought that was really cool. It was a pretty interesting hook because it's, you know, just the, the implications of something that can shut down division tech like that for a, a good period of time. And then, you know, who is sending these coordinates? Like, what what is going on? It, it opens up a lot of questions, and it kind of gets those hooks in you pretty pretty quickly, which I feel like the Division One, like, it was, I don't know, didn't have hooks like that quite so much. It was just like, oh, New York is messed up, and so much so that the first wave of agents, they just kind of screwed everything up, so now we're sending in a second wave. See you later. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it already, narrative-wise, it gets off to a lot better start. Um, I think to that end as well, the way that they have these little cutscene moments are a lot more impactful than how they just kind of, you know, you're still in your character and it just spits information out at you in division one. I like that they kind of pull you out for a second and they show you these things because then they can, um, you know, really play into like characters emotions by showing like certain angles, like one of the first people you meet and you meet her in the beta. So I don't think it's that big of a spoiler. Um, Odessa with um, her prosthetic leg. Uh, a lot of times when she's kind of like lamenting about her lack of mobility and like the loss of her leg, they'll usually show it from like a low angle where like the focal point of the shot is her prosthetic leg and mm-hmm. you can kind of get that feeling where she like she feels low. Um, so it does a point. lot. Right. It does yeah. a lot more like tonally with the way that they're able to. Um, convey information about the characters without being, you know, heavy-handed and just like explicitly being like, "I'm upset because I have lost a part of my body." You know, it's more it's more implied, and I think it just from a storytelling standpoint, it just it feels more natural. It feels more like you know a movie or something with like really yeah. good production value to that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the story is is very good so yeah, far it's you've, interesting you've played more of the story than i think i have yeah so you are level seven i'm seven about to be eight and i've pretty much okay. only been in dc east except for that one single mission in the jefferson event center which is the other 
mission that we played in the, right. in the uh, beta. I just hit 28 today. Mm-hmm. And you, you've also, so you I, had, you, to put this into perspective for everybody, you had it since Tuesday. I've only had it since Friday. Yeah. I don't want, yeah. Pe- I don't want people thinking you just kind of, you know, poop socked <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> no, dude. I, uh, I played, I played some very late nights here. Yeah. Um, which I don't blame you because it was very hard to put down. Yes. This is, um, this is, this game, it does a very good job of the, all right, just one more mission three hours later. And you're like, I should be in bed right now. Because on your way to the mission, there's seven other things for you to do. Mm-hmm. There's shade tech. There's other loot. There's other, you know, resources. There's control dense. points. There's activities. It's dense. it's deep and it's dense. Dense is a good word because the map isn't huge, but it's dense. Yeah, I think compared Very to dense. Division One. So like in Division One, you would find a lot of just like random backpacks with like food and, and like those consumables and stuff. And clothes and clothes, stuff. Yeah. yeah, but not a whole lot of like like proper crates and boxes that actually have like gear and weapons in them whereas mm-hmm. in this i feel like there's a pretty good 50 50 balance between those small pickups and the large ones um so it's it's more exciting to find stuff now because you know that it's going to be something that's useful to you instead of something that's just like okay this is another consumable that's going to give me a little bit of a buffer you know a small slice of time right and just shooting locks off of gates to get into those <laughs> like loots oh satisfying it's like the dumbest little thing but blasting that lock off every time just like yeah it's it feels it feels nice to find those things because loot is everywhere in this game Mm -hmm. and before before we move forward with our discussion i want to say one more thing about the story i think it's good hit it i think it's very interesting it definitely gets a lot better stakes get way higher Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more investment in it i think it does a very good job, unlike Division One, making you feel important to be a division agent. Yeah. Because of the way people talk to you, the way that they interact with you, the things that the NPCs say to you in the open world, not just in cutscenes and story missions, but the way that people treat you, you are a hero of the DC wasteland. You yeah, are somebody that, who is say in Division One, like you almost feel just like you're like a hired gun, like a mercenary. You feel like you're just kind of there. Right. And because it's like, well, hey, while you're here, why don't you take care of these three factions that are screwing stuff up? Well, even when with this, just like you said, the way that the NPCs react to you, like you, you feel like you have like the importance and clout of someone that's in this high ranking, like special government force. You do, you definitely do feel like you're here, even with like the small slice of the story that I played. I think especially with like the settlements and like you can actually see the the quote unquote good things that you're doing to improve like the situation of these people in DC more so than you would, you know, see that effect in uh division one in New York. Absolutely. Which I think that goes a long way. in like the, the idea of what the division is supposed to be and uh, you know, how people view division agents. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this story does a really good job of making that important. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was very much lacking for me in the first division. I had no investment in what I was doing. I didn't care about the missions I was doing. I didn't care about the people I was interacting with. I was just doing things to do things. Because, and I said this before, and it's still a minor complaint I have about this game, is that tonally these games take themselves way too seriously. Yeah. And I think that there's some space there for a little bit of that let's say Marvel Cinematic Universe 
between comedy and serious tone. And I think they could strike a really good balance there because there's some really cool futuristic stuff you're doing here. Mm -hmm. But then the world you're in is so bleak and drab and needs somebody like you that you kind of just feel like, I get it, but maybe calm down a little bit. Yeah. And my my big my biggest complaint with the story is that I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this, and I I think I found a way to put this into words is that I understand that the world is dreary, it's bleak, it's drab, it's a wasteland, it's broken. It needs my hand to help fix it. And not just that, but to inspire those around me to also help me fix it. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. But the game is relying on its world to build connections with characters like Odessa, like other people you meet in the world that run the settlements, that also work for the division, maybe even have higher occupations than those that you meet along the way. It's expecting me to make emotional connections with these people and have these moments in cutscenes land, like the cutscenes with Odessa where they're panning about her her daughter and her, her leg and not being able to help, but she wants to, but she physically can't. In the beta, that doesn't land with you because you don't have context. Right. Now that I've seen that cutscene and I've played the game, I get it. But it's still relying on me to have an emotional connection with a character I have I know nothing about based on the state of the world that they've built. And I would rather them spend time allowing me to build connections with characters so that I have emotional attachment, similar to what Bungie does with in Destiny with like the Vanguard with guys like Cade six and granted they had years to build a connection with somebody like Cade six and kill him off and have it mean something and have you feel investment in a story. So I'm not writing this off completely. I just think I'm disappointed that it's trying to make me feel emotion for a character based on a world they've set up rather than allow me to build a connection with a character and allow me to experience events stories listen to things maybe read some lore and then hit me with the emotional roller coaster of something has happened or i feel for you or i i get it it's 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 post chemical warfare everybody is in a bad spot yeah. it's very hard to feel bad for one person who is has a daughter that's been kidnapped some people don't have families some people right. don't have a place to live some people outright died trying to protect other people. Why should I feel bad for you? What makes you special? What makes you the leader of the settlement? And I haven't felt those feelings yet. So it's very hard for me to connect with people and have story moments land like that. Now, they've done a really good job thus far where I am with somebody like Kelso. Kelso being the division agent that's working alongside you and seems to be a peer, but is also kind of like a division leader in the DC area. Mm They've done a very good job with her because not only does she go through some missions with you early on in the game and also maybe later in the game, but right. they she's constantly on comms with you. She's constantly sharing things with you that aren't related directly to DC. There's a lot of things to find out about her. So I have, at this point, an emotional connection to Kelso. So if something were to happen to Kelso, I'm not saying that something does or something doesn't, but should so, something happen to Kelso... I would feel remorse. I yeah. would I would mourn. 
if somebody a, shot Odessa right away, I, I could care less. Right. I wouldn't have any. I think emotional. that's a it's a really tough balance to strike because, um, you know, with Kelso, because you interact with her in a more comparable way to how you interact with the world, like you're both doing the same type of stuff. You're out there fighting these uh, factions, these gangs, using mm-hmm. all your gadgets and all, all that stuff. Um, it's a lot easier to relate to a character in that way, whereas the characters that like really don't leave their you know guarded areas like Odessa, um, yep. it's tough to relate to them. And I think that's a lot of kind of what you had with um, like Zavala in Destiny. Like mm-hmm. in Destiny One, like none of the Vanguard except for Cade Six really did all that much. Right. He came with you in the stuff with like the Taken King. Uh, you know, you saw him like space fighting and you know doing cool stuff like that. But with like Ikora and Zavala, you really didn't see a whole lot out of them until the second game. Which to me, for for those two, um, they just and they just felt like you know just generic sci-fi characters in the first one more so than Kate. Absolutely, did, which is saying a lot yeah. because Kate is a freaking robot, and he yeah. has the most emotion out of the three of them. Right. But I think it's a, and I and I and I know for a fact I'm comparing apples to oranges. I'm just I don't think you're that far off, really. Okay, it, it's just it's a tough thing to do to have these characters that are like uh, in a position without bogging it down with all that extra context that would give you that meaning. And then mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, like you just the comparisons that you made as far as like okay, like you lost your leg, and but you still have your daughter, and then you have people that don't have families at all, or you know all those other scenarios it does make it hard to relate um but i think for me at least i would rather them try to make you feel that connection with that person instead of just having them be just like generic apocalypse survivor in the same way that like zavala and ikora were kind of just like generic sci-fi mentors in in destiny one Right. Every every person has a unique story to them and how they survive this chemical warfare or this chemical apocalypse. And here's yeah. here's where we are now. And here's how we're getting by. And more importantly, here's how we're rebuilding to get mm-hmm. back to where we were. And then some. Yeah. And, and I, I know, appreciate like, that. I've found a couple of echoes that were related to Odessa that kind of flesh out what she was doing prior to. Yes. Like, I, did, you, did you find the one where like the scenario where she lost her leg? Yes. So like stuff like that, like they do make the attempt to it, but I think it kind of falls flat in the same way that like Fallout 76 falls flat where there's a lot of Mm. cool stuff where they like they they're telling you about it rather than showing you about it. And I think that's just when you have these games that have these like lore collectibles where you're you're reading or like listening to audio files, like Mm. it's more telling when you it really should be more showing. And that's why characters like Kelso, like Cade why you get that connection with them because you're seeing what they do. You're seeing how they behaved, how they react to these situations. It's, it's, it's stronger connection because you're, you're being shown who they are and what they do versus being told like Cade is a quippy fun guy and he has all these cool modifications to him. And he's just so, so funny versus yep. seeing him pull off these harebrained schemes and, bringing a stupid chicken around with them and calling it the colonel which we'll put it this way if if the whole idea of the colonel would have been like a tape or a grimoire card 
everyone would have been like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But actually right. seeing him pick it up and, you know, oh, cuddle with it and stuff like that, like it's whimsical, it's funny, like it fits with his characterization and it feels better because you're being shown it versus being told yeah. about it. And I saw it, I absorbed it, and I interpreted right. it the way right. you had the that full I context of it, mm-hmm. the scenario, and it, it goes back to the convenience factor. There's going to be echoes in this game that 90% of the players who play this will never see or care to watch or care right. to stay and see. Mm-hmm. They might collect it just for a patch to put on their arm, but some people are going to get themselves very invested in this and they're going to seek them out. Yeah. And I think they're going to miss out on the some of the best parts of the division two yeah, story. There's a lot of cool stuff that it, that is, even though it, it's telling instead of showing it's, it's still very cool and very interesting. Right. Because like you said, they, they hit you with these hairpin moments right away where it's like, it's almost character development moments <clears throat> that like were def- character defining moments that they're in inter- you're interacting with Odessa right away and you're seeing her, totally once you get her daughter back you're seeing her basically just erase and forget the fact that she's legless yeah and there's, she's coming back as like fine we'll do this we'll with do her, this your way with, with her right. specifically and just knowing like seeing the whole scenario play out with her losing the leg there's no reason that that couldn't have been you know two or three A missions cutscene. in you mm-hmm. know what i mean like you could have met her and seen her like as her full-on like division agent and then right. seeing her have that loss, there's no reason that that had to have been, you know, relegated to uh, an, an echo. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm worried about is that some of the best parts of the story that get you invested are going to be hidden in lore collectibles like echoes. Yeah. Books, paintings, phones, whatever it is, walkie talkies, yeah. whatever you can pick up in the, the game. Fallout 76 problem stories there. It's pretty interesting but it's all on you to be the detective that finds that stuff. Right. And it comes back to love that. And some people could not care less. It just comes back to convenience factor. If you're making me go out and find it, I'm going to care less about it than if you just show me a cutscene that I can't skip. Yeah. I do like that. They've really increased like the, the distance away from like phones and stuff that you have to be like for them to show up, like on your radar for Isaac to say something about them. So mm-hmm. even if like you could be pretty, pretty substantially far away from it and you're just kind of yeah. like ballpark and it'll throw the blip up. I think that goes a long way in making sure that you find more of them than in division one. Um, but still, I think there is a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that's cool and interesting and relevant, but it's just kind of tucked away where people might not necessarily care enough to, to find it. Cause it's not super convenient to whatever activity they're doing. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to really say about the story. Yeah. That's kind no, of my, I, I think those so far. are very germane points to to bring up for sure. Yeah, for sure. What else do you like about it? Um, gameplay wise, um, I really like the side missions. Um, they even though they're marked as side missions, they like don't really feel like traditional side missions where it's just like, you know, irrelevant things that you can also do. Like the side missions have an impact on what's going on within, you know, DC itself. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're, I would, they're, they're of the same quality that the main missions are. They're just, they're just shorter. Right on par. And they, they take you to locations that are just as cool as the side missions do. Again, they're just, they're just smaller, more digestible chunks. That's the only real difference between a side mission and a main mission is their length. 
quality wise, I think they're pretty equal. Yep. And I think the best part of the story missions is that there's some that you can pick up traditionally from NPCs at settlements or people you run into patrolling, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that you just stumble upon Yep. in the open world. You run across it and it just shows up on your radar. Sometimes a side mission just is on your map. Mm-hmm. It just shows up on your map. It happened to me and I ended up having one of the most memorable experiences in division two because of it. I had a side mission just show up. Nobody said you've, gained this mission i didn't complete something else and it just showed up it, i was looking on my map to see what haven't i cleared out in this area i looked back in an area i hadn't been to in a few hours mm-hmm. there was a side mission there and it just had question marks all over it yep. and i did it and it blew my freaking mind yeah i love the the like the random events that pop up as question marks because i'm always like mm-hmm. well, what mm-hmm. is this going to be because i've i've had situations like that where it's been you know i might have just done a couple that were you know like public executions to stop or like patrols or something. And then you get something right. different from what you've seen before. So those are always worth tracing down. And I feel like you, um, you get good loot from them too. They are for sure like side activities, but you get good loot. My biggest complaint in a game like destiny is that I do things like strikes and nightfalls, like really hard end game activities mm-hmm. and raids and stuff. And I get, blue loot i get green loot i get common stuff like you know above not not even gear this game regardless what your level is will constantly be pushing you and granted we have not hit the end game yet so i don't know what that grind is like but i have yet to ever even if i'm finding a crate in the open world randomly behind a locked gate that I had to shoot something off of, or I happened to stumble upon this roof looking for shade tech and I found a a crate that drops an armor piece or or, a weapon crate. I have never not got something that has made me go back into my inventory and go, Oh, do I, do I equip this? Do I want to play with this style? Do I want to do this? This is better than that. Oh, what do I, and every, with everything, whether it's picking it up in the open world, I get it from a mission, I build it from a blueprint. The loot in this game is fan-freaking-tastic. Yes, and there's a ton of it. They do such a good job of doling it out. Like, I've gotten some of my coolest-looking stuff, and even some purple stuff, um, from just those little side missions where you're, like, you're really only fighting maybe, like, a handful of people. And I've gotten yeah. some really cool stuff. So everything you do feels super rewarding. And even if it's just like, you know, a slight uptick in damage or if it's something that's not comparable to what you're already using, there's never really like a huge like you're never going to get something that's like so much better than what you already have. It's always like a couple little steps up. But if it's something mm-hmm. that's bad, it's just always a couple of steps down. Like you're never going to get absolute trash and you're never going to get something that's absolute gold. There's mm-hmm. always there's a lot of trade-offs with the uh, the stats on everything. So you kind of like yeah. you said you have to go into your menu and kind of really look and say, "Hmm, do I want this? You know, what what is your build? What are you going for?" Right. Or if you're what someone that just yeah, right. If you're someone that doesn't care about that, I mean, you can just go straight up by the damage number or the armor for it and and call it a day. So it really kind of caters to to both sides mm-hmm. of that coin, which is nice. Yeah, and they do they do a really good job unlike in division one and this was pre patches that they put into the game so i don't know what the 
overall story experience was like, but they do a really good job of slowly introducing to you the skill building and mechanics of building your armor sets and building your, your uh, guns and what you use for what situations when. There's guns that come with perks. Mm-hmm. Blue ones can have a perk sometimes. Purple ones will typically have two perks. Uh, and then yellow ones will have three. And I assume that red ones will have like very unique exotic perks to themselves. Yeah. But those perks depend on the armor sets that you build. So some perks that ha- that are that are available for that weapon will not immediately be unlocked for that weapon because you need to have a certain armor set that has certain skill buildings of, you know, your armor resistance versus your health resistance for damage output. Yeah, you have, so and you need to tech defense and i think offense or like the three yes. like something like that three points of the triangle and when you go into your menu you have like a little circle that represents like how much of your like what what is your gear going towards more and it'll mm-hmm. kind of because you're a pretty good slice of it and like you said some some skills require you that you know you have to have at least you know like 500 in your in your defense to for this ability or skill to to trip and it it, it makes you think about what you're building like what are you trying to go for and it, yeah. it makes having different loadouts viable. And they do a really good job of integrating that with different loadout sets. You can just, instead of having to go, okay, well, I'm about to j- jump into PvE, so I should go with this and this and this. Just make a PvE loadout. A PvP loadout, yeah. swap between them, call it a day. Set it up, mm-hmm. forget it. You know, it's very user-friendly. This game made me do a thing that I hate to do in games like this, and I love it for it. And that's downgrade myself based on the gear that I have in order to obtain the the peak loadout that I want at yes. the time that I have it. Well, like I have though, used guns. It is a it's a good example of picking, you know, the lesser of two evils. Like would I rather have that extra 300 health or would I rather have like, you know, 25% crit damage on top of that right but how often do you think about that in other loot games like this where they're giving you all these things with all these perks but do all those other perks really matter that much yeah because some of those perks are just intrinsic like they just they just come with whatever the weapon is like if it's an exotic gun from destiny you get that perk regardless mm-hmm. whatever you're wearing you could mm-hmm. be wearing the common armor from the very first mission in the game right. and you You'll could still, still get the perk from the hand cannon that makes people explode when you shoot them. Yep. Whereas in this game, if I get a, a yellow or an exotic weapon and my armor doesn't meet the specifications of whether I need to have five fewer offensive output or five or more offensive output within my wheel of skill tree, I can't use that perk. I don't get 25% faster reloading on my marksman rifle because of it. Mm-hmm. So do I downgrade my body armor to match and meet the specifications in order to get that weapon perk, like you said, or do I use a different weapon that meets the armor set that I want to wear because having better armor is more viable in the situation I'm in. It makes me think about things I normally don't think about. And I love this game for that because it makes those things matter Mm -hmm. and it's not negligible. It is very, very much something you need to focus on otherwise you will die very quickly yep agreed 
And I think that's incredible. I think that's one of the best things that this game does. And the fact that it slowly introduces it to you over time to the fact where at one point you're not even thinking about it. You're just taking the thing that has more greens than reds when it comes to damage numbers and outputs. And you're just throwing that on your build and saying, yeah, sure, I guess I'll go to dual marksman rifles, whatever. Right. But then it gets to a point where you're like, I really need to think about this because I'm getting absolutely smoked by these NPCs and yep. these enemies. Yeah. Is your survivability really that unimportant that you want to be able to just crank out all this damage? Because it's not right. They, they throw a lot of situations at you where, you know, it's not always the most viable way to just to just run in and, and face tank it, which I think a lot of people still do that because that's how you would play the division one. Um, right. Another thing and I'll, good. I was just just to build on that. I'm going to further that conversation and say, you have to think about it even twice as much because playing solo is a totally different experience than playing with other people. Yes, the perks because that you choose, with, the yeah. skills are completely different. You want to be doing totally different things. For sure. I have not changed my skill loadouts because I physically can't. I have to have one item that heals me and then I have to have one item that either suppresses or damages enemies Right. because I've been playing solo. But if I'm playing with somebody else and they're like, hey, I'm all about the healing, bro, or hey, I'm all about the damage, bro, then I can be like, cool, I'll heal you and me and as long as you can get those guys off of me. Otherwise, everybody's shooting at you and you need a way to keep yourself from dying and also a way to keep people off of you. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, two totally different games. Like your your loadouts in in like Destiny, ver, PV or single player versus you know playing with your buddies. Like they're really not going to change all that much. It comes down more to if you're doing PVE or PVP stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. in this, it's like twofold. It's are you playing against other humans or are you playing just against the AI? Step one. Step two. Are you by yourself or do you have somebody else with you? And I think even once we get, you know, three and four people in there, I think that's also going to change dramatically as far as what perks and skills people kind of specialize in, because then you don't have to worry about you can be the master of one thing. You don't have to be the jack of all trades because you have other people that are picking up that slack. And I think that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Lots of and now imagine not even just a two, three, four man squad. But when they start to release the raids for this game, which I think they're releasing for free to everybody yep. who owns the game. I think all that's of the content be an- is free. It's just if you buy the pass, I think you get it earlier and you get some, you know, yeah. loot drops or something. Yeah, I think, it's no, huge. I think you're right. Because that's good because it doesn't fragment your player base, which is a huge right. problem. And you don't feel like you're, you don't get FOMO. Yep. Um, exactly. But imagine what it's going to be like in an eight man activity. With how deep it is for just your solo player build versus I'm playing with two, three, four people. Mm-hmm. Now imagine how hyper specialized it's going to be when you're playing eight man. How many healers do you need? How many damage outputs do you need? How many tech skills builds do you need? How many turrets do you need? How well, like how many do you need hives? Should we be using chemical launchers? Do we need right. to keep, stick people in their tracks? What are the mechanics of this boss fight? There's so many things to think about. And I think communication is going to be at the forefront of that, which I applaud games for always imploring that you have communication yeah. games like Apex and and the like. There's destiny raids you can do these days. You don't even have to talk to anybody. You just do it. Yeah. And I, I don't think this I, is going to be the case. No, I, I really hope and I kind of get the feeling that with having such a large group size for these raids that I feel like they are going to 
throw some mechanics at us that are going to force us to think about how we structure the build of all of our people or our team members right. in that raid. At least I hope I would hope that they would do that mm -hmm. um, to some degree so that, you know, kind of makes that kind of planning and stuff, you know, feel better when you pull it off because you had, you know, a good build or a good um, composition of your team. Yeah. So we were talking about missions there for a little bit. Was there mm -hmm. something else that you wanted to talk about? I think you were getting to a point about loot and inventory and stuff like that. Um, maybe I think it kind of just got lost <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. in all the we, side I, conversations. That's fine. I, it's I, yeah. I, I like the, the natural flow of things. Um, specifically, just kind of in talking about like the difficulty. I love, 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 love the fact that the AI is smart enough in this game that it is not uncommon for me to die. The fact that I've had deaths where in the division one, like I wouldn't have and just would have steamrolled through places. I love that. I feel vulnerable in this game. Uh, the AI is super smart. They will try to flank you um, and pin you down and they will use that to their advantage every single time that they can. And you are going to die in this game. And I like that. I like to feel a degree of challenge like that. I don't like whenever I'm just, steamrolling through everything it's not it's fun at first but if i'm not you know being challenged from time to time then it's just it it loses a lot of its luster and this game is very good about you know if you screw up it, it, you get punished so it's not it's not like right. it's not dark souls kind of level of punishment where it's like very very small things that can spell yeah. your disaster um this you have more avenues to kind of right your wrongs in this but i do like that there is that you know uncertainty of you know you use come into this guns hot without kind of assessing who's in this area there's a very real chance that you can get rushed from these five guys yeah. that are you know down this uh four-way intersection that you didn't consider and they're gonna just come in from behind and just shoot you in the back and then you're toast yeah let's really let's say that. that this game let's coin it as it's anti-rambo yes you can't you can't run in and be the hero. Yeah, it's not. It's less of a cover base shooter and more of a just straight up cover shooter, which I yeah. like because uh, like mm -hmm. you really have to think about your positioning because depending on like where like the orientation of the cover and what side of it you're on, you could be exposing yourself from you know different angles to to the different types of enemies and there's a lot of situations where you have to move and you're like okay well should I expose myself to the sniper or is it more beneficial that this melee guy that's going to roll up on me should i just like tank him a little bit and then take him out first like there's i think the, a big running theme with this game is there's a lot of like trade-offs to the situations you're presented with what is the what's the the lesser of two evils do i do i want to uh get shot by this guy or this guy do i want to sacrifice some of my damage output for some armor for survivability or do i want to um, have my skills last a little bit longer be a little bit more potent so there's a lot of things to be considered and they're just complex enough where it's not uh something that you have to really like pour over and like you know be doing all this like crazy math and play the numbers game um but it's not shallow enough that it's just like a, a very easy decision every time and i really appreciate right. that it makes you think just enough where it's not frustrating. Mm -hmm. And I and I hope that the end game doesn't get into first game in a math game where I have to start equating my loadout to the activities that I'm going to be doing, etc. I hope that there's still some freedom of choice and mm -hmm. play style and that I don't get 
uh, strong-armed into, for lack of a better term. I don't get strong-armed into having to play as one certain play style, which I, I want to I say, speaking of play styles, I don't feel like, and maybe it's because I've been playing solo, I don't feel like close quarters is a viable play style in this game. Shotguns, pistols, the like, uh, using the shield, all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's not the solo way to do it. It's definitely not the solo way to do it. You cannot play that way solo. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there's a player out there who is probably top 1% of this, the, the tier players in this game. And they just run around with a shotgun, just bang, 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 finish the activity of the mission. It was easy. No big deal. World record speed run. Um, mm. but for majority players here, you can't just run and gun close fisted. I have to be in cover away from people picking and popping my shots, grabbing people's gaze, getting, uh, into cover somewhere else, trying to flank them by myself. And, I also don't feel like stealth is a viable mechanic in this game because the second you enter an area and grab attention, everybody and their mother knows that you're there. Yeah. And I wish that there was just a little bit more variety in the solo play. Maybe it's just a more difficult play with close quarter stuff. But whenever I had, because the, the pre-order for the game gets you that peacekeeper shotgun mm -hmm. or the lullaby, excuse lullaby. me, yeah, the lullaby. And I wanted to use that so bad at the beginning of the game that I did use it for a while because they start you off with an exotic, an exotic level one weapon mm -hmm. and I'm using it and I'm, I'm like, I'm getting burned because I have to get so close to somebody to get the perks to proc and then to actually do viable damage yeah, to them. And the real advantage of that one is that you have to switch to it and then hit them with a melee. So mm -hmm. you're automatically putting yourself at a disadvantage because you're Which, in your face and you're switching weapons Melee is not viable in the game at all. No, and I don't know if that's just like a PC thing or what, because it's like a it's either you're pressing down on the mouse wheel or you're hitting tab, and it's just like it neither feels really good. I mean, you could probably change it with a keybind, but like it feels like a weak bitch yeah, lap. It does. <laughs> like it does. Like I do more damage yawning or coughing on somebody than I would. Hitting them with the melee in the division two. Yeah, no, I I, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> I I mean, I get why it's there. It's like, hey man, I have nothing else, and somebody's right in my face. But in the later games, uh, in the later game content, like where I am, when I start getting all these different enemies with all these different skills, which side topic, a round of applause to the to the dev team for the variety of enemies that are game yeah and none and of them the feel way that like they, stupid tanky like everything feels like no. it's, the time to kill is perfect like you don't well have... that's well there is maybe one stupid tanky enemy that i ran into <laughs> in the later well, game we'll put There's this a way. guy you don't you're not like just dumping bullets into somebody right. that's just like wearing a hoodie like you did in division right. one so you know you know how every faction has like a big hulking yellow bar brute yeah yeah that has armor like the the i don't remember what the hyenas one is he's i think he's pretty similar to what the true sons is. the true sons is a, a giant dude with like a with like a minigun yeah and he basically just braps all the way around <laughs> until you take down his armor yeah the one for the outcasts which is like the western side of the map mm -hmm. the guys who wear like the yellow overcoats and stuff mm -hmm. they use like fire and they also use the um the chemical uh launcher with like the 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 um sludge stuff on the ground the foam the riot foam mm -hmm. 
they have guys that use that, which is hilarious because they look exactly like uh, Winston Zeddemore in Ghostbusters 2 with like the slime launcher pack. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but it's it's hilarious. But there's so many varieties of enemies. And then their big hulking brute tank guy is a is a guy in the same armor that like the minigun true sons dude is and he's running around with like an axe just doing melees and he'll run up to you and he'll just take one swing and it's either all of your armor or all of your health so that's always frustrating because that guy's just running at you while everybody else is just like sniping you and shooting crossbows at you and throwing Molotov cocktails at you (laughs) so again like you have to think about it but like if if this was i mean like destiny like melee is an ability it's right. something that you use in this game it's an afterthought the game is all about your your class skills and how you build your play style right. blah it's blah a, blah it's blah, a blah. panic thing that you only do whenever you're someone's in your face yeah like, ah! like how often do you switch to your pistol uh only whenever or i'm you- trying to do the club challenges <laughs> <laughs> i switch to it when i get the sawed off double barrel because I want to feel like Terminator. Yes. I like that. I'm glad. But that's actually, that's actually a good weapon. I had a double barreled thought off for a while, like my, my pistol weapon with infinite ammo. Mm -hmm. And when people would start rushing me, like especially the true sons have those shotgun guys that just the lightning bolt guys that just run right at you. When they get to the corner of cover, I'm just like pop, pop. And that's it. Yeah. I don't even remember what point I was trying to make at the beginning of that the, whole spiel. Uh, the Where did I even start? Tank, tanky enemies, tanky enemies, <laughs> annoying tanky enemies. Tanky enemies, yeah. yeah. But there, so there are some that like just bum rush you and melee you, but then there's other ones that do different things. And mm-hmm. I praise them for the diversity of enemy types in all of the factions. Yes. All of the factions play differently. They have all different enemy types. And you know when you're going into True Sons that you're going to be taking on heavy ammo ammo heavy guys whereas with the outcast you're going to be dealing with a lot of like fire based range based stuff and then with the hyenas the very first one it's kind of like the the guys who um oops the guys who what's the word inject themselves i guess with the with the d what is it d62 or d uh, it's 22 DC 67. I think it is DC 67. 67 yeah. 62, something green like that. drug yeah. that like may basically makes you a, a five minute super soldier. Yeah. yeah you got to deal with a lot of that from those guys. And that's kind of like a third shield of armor. So I, I appreciate how different they all are. I yeah. think that's really cool and a really cool play style to play as agreed. Um, Hmm. Just kind of looking at my list here. Um, I don't think I really, I don't have any other major things to kind of go over. Just a couple of minor points. Um, music, super good. Oh yeah. Super good. When you get into like, especially like the main missions, like some of the, the score for those main missions, it's like this weird eclectic mix of like electronic and like sometimes grunge, sometimes kind of like metal. Um, it just, it makes you feel really cool and powerful and like you're going through this like really interesting action scenario. Um, I, I have like no recollection of any music from the first one aside from like the title screen music, which is like just kind of iconic because you would hear that every time you booted it up. Mm-hmm. But man, the music in the freaking Jefferson trade center. So good. 
I got to the one point where there's like those metal detectors and it'll keep playing the music even when you're not in combat and it's just like some real like chunky guitar going and I mm-hmm. I stopped and I was just like I'm gonna listen to this for a minute before I run in here and, and continue <laughs> this fight it was that good so I like that change up from the first game where the music feels like it has more of an impact on like the mood of uh, what's going on um, just kind of comparing this again to Destiny 2, which I mean, I know it's their apples to oranges you, you, in a lot of yeah, situations. Yeah, you kind of have to. Um, but it's it, right; it's hard not to. <clears throat> right. The uh, the quality of life stuff that uh, so I mean I I didn't play the Division One all the way up until its end, um, but I, I played a good bit of it, um, and I know I noticed like a lot of the quality of life stuff that they introduced in Division One. They've it's come back into Division Two and has been like improved upon. And then there's just like a lot of other stuff that's completely new quality of life stuff. Um, the biggest of which is whenever you go over to gear. So if it's worse than what you currently have equipped, um, the uh, the level number will show up as red if it's worse. If it's close to or comparable, it shows up as gray. And if it's definitely better, it shows up as green. So at a glance, you can right. tell if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you go to loot it, you have the option on PC, it's V, to loot stuff as junk. So it'll take it into your inventory, but it'll automatically mark it as junk so you can sell it in bulk in one shot by hitting tab at a vendor. Super mm-hmm. nice because there's so much stuff. I mean, with the amount of loot that you get, like you're, you're going to get a lot of stuff that you're just going to see and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to trash that. So this just makes it nice yeah. to, you can loot an individual item as junk or you can loot like a whole drop as junk. So it's just like one less thing that you have to do in order to uh, to get rid of some of that stuff and i will i will confirm for you in the later parts of the game very hard to play the mission structures mm-hmm. and the let in the side missions and main missions specifically in the order of recommended level that they want you to mm-hmm. so a lot of the stuff that you're picking up in that low lo- in those missions are capped to the recommended level so if you're level 28 and you're playing a level 25 mission you're going to get level 25 stuff interesting so it's ve- it's very useful that and I have yeah. that's become second nature to me. Yeah. Um, last big point that I have that's kind of like in favor of the game. Um, I know a lot of people that I've talked to that have played the Division One. They're like kind of all on this thing where they're like, well, New York map was like so much bigger and like DC just seems super small. I think that's kind of like an optical illusion because of the the configuration of the uh of new york it like it's much taller but it's very narrow whereas this map is like very spread out it's more of like a wide rectangle than a narrow one um a it's a super dense map there's so much stuff going on they do a really cool job of kind of taking you from this you know brick and concrete with all this like gothic architecture into zones where it's like there's a field of grass because there was a construction site here and it hasn't been touched in, you know, eight months or whatever. And now there's grass and this like funky water chilling out in it and it's turned into like a little like nature area and mm. all those like reclaim sort of like, um, uh, evoking that feeling that you get in some of the cities in like the last of us, all that stuff looks really cool and it fits within the environment. It tells its own story. It's not just slapped in there for the sake of variety. Like it makes sense. It feels, feels natural. The natural stuff feels natural. Right. Um, and then the last thing that I would say about the map is this is straight up a one to one version of DC. Like 
no argument about it. I saw an awesome overlay on Reddit where they had the game map and they put an overlay of DC from Google Maps and every single street for the most part that was on there was in the game. It's it almost looks as if they took the Google map and they used that as their starting point to lay out all their streets. Whereas I know mm-hmm. in Division 1, I think it was like it, it was actually like a quarter size of what New York was, so like every fourth street was missing or something along those lines. Um right. but this is like a straight up one-to-one map. Like if you look at a map, if you Google uh you know a monument or something and it puts the little pin on Google Maps. If you go to that spot on the map in the division, it's going to be there. Straight up. Yeah. That's how detailed it is. And there's so many posts about people that live in D.C. or work in D.C., spend a lot of time in D.C., and they're like, this is insane. Like, I could find my office building. I can, you know, give a guided tour to my friends and, you know, show them the places that we go in town because all that stuff is there. So the level of detail in the map it, for me is just, like, out of this world. Love it. Yeah. I can't wait to get into some of those other areas of the map for because like, I've been to DC a couple of times and mostly, you know, your your tourist spots, your, your museums and stuff like that, where you go with your high school trip and, and all that yeah. stuff. I want to see that stuff. I want to see what it looks like to see how close it actually is. And just from what I've seen and like what I recollect from being in DC, like it, it feels like it. Um, I lived in Maryland for three years. The way that they portray like this hot ass summer is exactly how I remember it. Just like the haze and stuff in the air. Like no joke. Like this is like a perfect representation of just like a nasty, sweaty Maryland summer for sure. Yeah, no, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Cause that was the point I wanted to, I wanted to make. And I think it's the most important point here because I think we both really like the story, mm-hmm. but I think, Aside from the the, the the story that they have here, the contextual story and DC itself is the story here. Yes. Because, like you said, it's one-to-one DC. This little sliver that we get of the world, our nation's capital, mm-hmm. something that almost everybody in the United States can relate to. I can't tell you what St. Louis looks like. Right. But I could give you an idea of at least six to seven maybe eight things that are in DC and roughly where they might be. Right. Yeah, you have, you have, and a, I've only been there pretty once for a high school right. trip. Decent right. frame of reference. Right. So to, to base a whole game in it, that is about fighting for your freedom from, from oppression and, you know, maybe even to a very, very far extent, somewhat topical. The contextual storytelling in this game is fantastic because DC isn't just one to one in terms of the map itself, but like the museums, the um, and and other notable famous locations and monuments and such, like like the Lincoln Memorial and the um, and uh, like the like the National Museum of uh, like aeronautics and things that you don't really think about, or like natural history, like one of the more famous museums. Mm-hmm. Like those things are there full size and 99% of the time there's a chance that there's a side mission or a main mission that's going to take you through kind of a quasi guided division style tour of those areas and locales. I've had the pleasure of playing through at least most of the game to this point and I've gotten to see most of them and I can tell you right now that those are my favorite parts of the game Yeah, because I played a mission that was in the 
National Museum of Native Peoples, mm-hmm. I believe. And uh, I don't know what it was, but something was so powerful about the visual storytelling. I, I mean, I was literally in there just to go to the rooftop, kill some sons and get out. But they had exhibits from the actual museum themselves where you could walk up to the to what the writing on the wall, the writing on the placards in the natural museum of, of history. You're like looking at the um, actual exhibit basically. Yeah. You're looking at the actual exhibit. You can actually read. I was taking pictures of it and sending to you saying, mm-hmm. this is insane. Somebody pointed out on Reddit that in the, I think the air and space museum, they have a faux exhibit set up for the person who first lands on Mars. I, I saw that today. Yeah. And they have like a full story about it and there's like an exhibit about it, but then there's also all the things that, you know, lander and uh the very first like u.s like the very first u.s rocket and all those other things um that's that's fascinating because even if you can't make it to to dc and you can't go find those things for whatever reason it is this is kind of a cool little sliver of dc and you can actually get and i was i i really wish that the same thing that they did with assassin's creed odyssey where Ubisoft has that mode that you can play that's in more of an educational mode where you can yeah. go to these locales and get a history lesson on them. I wish they had that with this game too. That would be really I wish cool. there was a way to just kind of turn stuff off, play server free, and then just kind of tour DC. That would be awesome. I think that would be so cool because there's so much here for this. And mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't seen half of these exhibits in almost 15 years. Yeah. And it's just there's something powerful about it's the nation's capital. It's the country that I live in. It's the, you know, it, it's patriotism. It's, it's, it, it's, it, it, oh, I, I love it. I, I loved every minute of it. And the, 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 they're so good at switching up the moments and the story beats with these, uh, with the different museums and locales and stuff that you go into one museum, you might be there to kill something. The other one, you might be there to just investigate something mm-hmm. like the national, uh, the natural history museum is one that is a contaminated zone. So there's nothing there. There's no enemies. There's no people. There's nothing. And it's just a barren empty. If you've ever walked into like the grand concourse of the natural history museum, you know that there's, um, the aside from like the big T-Rex that they have there, there's also like big recreations of like woolly mammoths and like, you know, the, the, the native, the, 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 the native people that, you know, or cavemen and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just this moment of being able to walk over to the exhibits and uh, be able to interact with one of the panels and just turn on the lights in these dark yellow tarp draped contaminated rooms and be able to just shine a bright light on the exhibits of like a saber tooth tiger or something. I I don't know, man, that just, for some reason, just that contextual storytelling landed with me so much more than any cutscene I've had in this game. So that it's like a nice, like breath of realism. It is. It makes the world feel more lived in, you know, it's more, more genuine. And I think that goes a lot into, you know, again, setting that tone, putting you in the right like headspace to appreciate what's going on and just yeah. like, the implications of, you know, what would happen if, if a scenario like this really did happen where the capital is just like gone to shit. Yeah. Like the capital, what you would think of as your very last line of defense, I guess. Right. 
like the place that could survive the nuclear holocaust right there's a lot that goes into that too with some of like the um like the the mobile devices and stuff that you find where it's like the president's conversations where he's actually deploying um division agents to new york city and like sending out those commands and they there's a lot where they're they're pretty much at that point where they're like yeah like if we can contain this thing in new york like we we should be able to to get a handle on it and then obviously being in messed up dc you know that that's not the case so it's kind of has that like bittersweet sort of thing to it where they're they're trying to fix the situation you know obviously it didn't go according to plan and it's it's very very interesting to kind of contextualize it and think of it in like real world terms like yeah. how how would something like this actually play out and those little yeah. details again go a long way in putting you in that headspace yeah and i think that this game also does a really good job of conveying a living breathing world yeah, one that absolutely. you're specifically affecting absolutely. because the the missions you do the 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 errands that you run for people, the side missions that you complete, they all affect the world and the world evolves around you. Mm-hmm. More people start uh, start uh, walking the streets, whether they're allies patrolling or enemies patrolling. At some points, people are, you know, you might have a patrol that goes out to go get water and bring it back to a control point that you've thus taken over. Like the more control points that you take over, the less enemies you see, the more allies you see. Yep. The more missions you complete, your settlements upgrade themselves. They add new wings. They add new uh, new people, new places, new subsections of the settlements. Um, the dynamic weather makes it feel like it's a living, breathing place. There's a day and night cycle. Yeah, and storms it just, are awesome. Yeah, the storms there's are so really cool. types of storms, too. Yeah. Sometimes there's just cloudy thunder. Sometimes there's roaring rain and thunderstorms sometimes there's just drizzling rain and then other times it's just foggy mm-hmm. or it's just like an early morning fog or like you're it's like when you're looking directly into the rising sun or the setting sun and you can't see what's what's right in front of you but if yep. you turn around you can see everything perfectly fine it's i can't applaud them enough i mean it feels like i'm in dc and i basically am yeah definitely agree definitely yeah. agree yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from this game is that this is a homage, a love letter to our nation's capital. Yep, for sure. Definitely a huge level of care put into replicating it accurately, and it, it, it really shows. For sure. For sure. Anything else you want to add about The Division 2? Um, I think there's a just a couple quick things. No game's perfect. There's a couple of things that I've I've somewhat disliked. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think we have to spend too much time on them because they're very nitpicky things. The game is fantastic, and I would highly recommend it to anybody listening that is even remotely interested in anything that we've talked about up to mm-hmm. this point. Um, I think it's a fantastic game. But there are a couple of things that I know you and I have talked about offline, and I think they're just worth mentioning here at the at the tail end of the discussion. So aside from everything that we love about it, I think the cover system's a little wonky at times. I think there's some times where I want to get into cover or people start firing at me because maybe I was recklessly running around and mm-hmm. maybe I catch a corner where I'm visible to everybody, but I meant to actually do it on the wall, but because I wasn't looking at the wall itself and maybe I was accidentally looking at the corner. Yeah. Those to moments end, happen. Just before I forget, I wanted to mention this to you earlier, but with, yeah. you know, kid being crazy. Um, there is a setting 
that you can change the speed of how long it takes to corner. I don't know if you've yes. seen that. I have, and I and okay. I actually changed. Okay, it. yeah, mm-hmm. I I yeah. did that yesterday, and it made it, it felt much better. With it does. It kind of it, it's a band aid to cover up those moments. Yes, it is absolutely a band aid. Yeah. Um. So that happens sometimes. It doesn't take me out of the fight. It has happened on a couple occasions where had that not happened, I ha- I wouldn't have died immediately. Uh, because <laughs> armor and health in this game are very scarce. Yes. Um. Other than that, general complaint, the game really doesn't tell you a lot. A lot of it is stuff that you figure it out. The game never tells you you can shoot locks off doors. Right. But if you figure that out and you know what the locks look like, you know you mm-hmm. can do that. And now you've opened up a whole subset of the world to you. There's a really cool part of that. And then there's also a semi-frustrating part of that where had I known about it, maybe I now I have to go back and look at other things and you know I've got to backtrack whatever it is yeah. but there's also times like in the contaminated areas there's doors that won't open but I also don't know that I can open because they look exactly like all the other doors and normally when I can interact with somebody it's highlighted in orange and it glows to a point where I know I can interact with it but then there's also doors that sometimes if I would have just shot this thing over here that's in no way indicated by the UI of the game, now the door is able to be interacted with and I had no idea. And it's not for so much as a secret hidden thing, but more of a progression thing and part of a, part of the map and being able to kind of check off that box. Mm-hmm. That bothers me just a little bit. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't disagree with that. I think you've... Kind yeah, of I mean, those. a lot of the Reddit posts for the first week were PSA, you can do this, and PSA, you can do that, and PSA, I bet you didn't know this. Yeah, I think that's kind of pretty yeah. uh, common for a game that has this level of, of depth yeah. to it. So, But I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that you, know, you wish they would be designed a little... It would be little very little hard to have it. It would be hard to have a tutorial for this game. Yeah. No, there's okay, a lot they, of subsystems. They, they definitely did a much better job than, I mean, at least from the betas, than Anthem did as far as, like, onboarding you into the systems. Oh, so. yes. Absolutely. That I don't disagree with you at all. Yeah. Um, I mentioned how I don't think close quarters is a viable play style, so it seems, and I think a lot of that's because I'm playing solo, but I, I just, I, I don't like being forced into playing as a, in a met, into a meta and I, I don't think this game is going to do that. So I'm hoping that the end game gives me more options into that. Yeah. Um, enemies still sometimes feel bullet spongy, especially bosses. And by that, I mean, I'm just unloading rounds into them and nothing seems to be happening except for just watching a bar tick down. Yeah. Now, there are enemies that get staggered. And I think it only happens when they're not armored. And I'm strictly shooting a health bar versus an armor bar and then a health bar. Yeah. Well, I've so, noticed that on like some of like the hyenas, for example, how some of them they have the helmets with the gas mask. If you shoot them in the head, like it'll give you that icon of like armor breaking. So while they don't have a yes. specific armor bar, if they have armor on, it'll take an extra shot or two to kind of puncture through it and actually do some damage. So I don't know if that maybe yeah. has uh, some effect on on that or not. Yeah, I mean every enemy has a weak point. Yes. There's no enemies that don't have a point that you can shoot and either stagger an enemy for a, a certain amount of time, stop them dead in their tracks, or at least immediately take down their armor or health. Yeah. There's guys with like messenger bags that have, uh, you know, the grenadiers have messenger bags that you can blow up. The 
hyenas that use the DC-62 or whatever it is, the, the green gas, if you shoot that on them, it totally disorients them because they've gotten an overload of the drug. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you shoot the big backpack on the back of minigun bosses, um, all the ammo goes shooting everywhere and they get they staggered popcorn. for a minute. They popcorn. Yeah, popcorn it. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that. That's really good design. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, if, if it's just straight shooting, and I think a lot of that is you're supposed to coordinate with your team and flank and then hit the weak points, which is there are some skills that will strictly focus on the weak points of enemies, like that little firebird thing, the firefly thing. I don't yeah. remember what it's called. I can't remember. I know the hornet, maybe. I don't know. The, the hornet's the grenade that you throw, or the hive. That's the hive. Oh, there's something like it looks. It looks like a little hornet that you like throw. Yeah, it looks like a little bird. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what it's called. That thing. Exactly um, about, though. And that leads me into my next point, which is some of the skills kind of feel useless at this point. They don't really seem viable. And uh, again, solo play, but as another team, it may be totally different. But with something like that little bird that is supposed to focus on weak points, it also bothers me that not only do I have to grab the bird, manually target people, throw the bird out, it takes out the weak points. Mm -hmm. And then the cooldown on half of these skills in the game is like two to three minutes. That's just way too long, in my opinion. I think the skills need to be at least have for the most part, mm-hmm. the, the, the turret and the drone alone. If I use those in combat, I have to pick the exact moment when to use those. Cause if I use them too early, I will screw myself by the time a boss comes out and vice yeah. versa. I, I usually try to only have one out at a time as far as those two go. Cause I'm rolling with the same setup and then I'm all, I always try to be like super diligent about, um, when like if, if if I use it like late in an encounter and you know there's nothing around, like I'll hold down Q or E and uh just like manually destroy them because I think it, it halves the uh the the cooldown on them. Yeah. But there's also a lot like if you're if you put a lot into your skills that reduces the cooldown reduction and then you have one like armor pieces that will specifically reduce by like a certain percentage and then you have mods on top of those and stuff yeah so again i haven't reached the end game so i hope i think once you hit end game that'll probably be Mm -hmm. a little bit different yes i know on in division one i think they're they're probably not going to be as dramatic but there was some like really op stuff you could do build wise oh yeah skill cooldowns yeah but yeah i remember that um and then just i've mentioned it before i think the menus are just a little bit cumbersome yeah, they definitely are. They're made for a console, for sure. Yeah. I'm playing mouse and um, keyboard, and there's a lot of like very questionable decisions. Too many layers to some things. Yeah, um, I did do the uh, the grid setup for the inventory, which nice helps. So nice. It helps, but it doesn't. It, it's a band aid. Doesn't fix. <laughs> it's no, definitely. A it does band-aid. not fix. Um, and my last complaint, if it can even be one, clothing feels like an afterthought. And I think that's more important than I think people will admit, because I think one of the biggest things of these games is making yourself look fabulous. And I feel like the the rate at which you get clothing is so low. I I want it's been drastically slowed down. Yeah. You used to get a ton of stuff. And a lot of the stuff that you get now is like not that cool. And there's a lot of junk. (laughs) Yeah, but now there's like a whole a whole store for it. 
there's like cash fragments you can get to make keys to then open loot yeah. chests that drop just cosmetic stuff. And that could be anywhere from a weapon skin to armor skin to uh, any of the clothing that you could wear. There's no benefits to wearing the clothing. It's all just how you yeah. look. But cool in Division 2, that's the main look of your character because your armor only does so much to make you look like something. Yeah. You really need to fall back on the clothes. And yeah. there's full outfits that you can get that I found out about today. I found like an old World War One, uh, like commandeer outfit. Yeah, that you I can, can wear that on. as a full outfit or as like the individual components, right? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. which is cool. I think um, so. The, the just kind of before we get too far away from the topic of the the appearance, like the cosmetic store. Um, yeah, they definitely made improvements on it. Because everything, oh, yeah. every, everything you get is, is cosmetic, so like whatever. And I, I'm like really considering like maybe buying a couple of these outfits because previously, if you wanted like just a helmet, you had to buy the whole pack that was like four outfits and like ninety five percent of the stuff like you didn't care about. You can buy the right. individual helmet, the the scarf, whatever, or you can buy the full outfit, which I think yeah. is awesome. Like you just what you want, it's right there. You just buy it. You don't have to mm-hmm. buy everything that's in the whole pack, which I think there's a lot of cool exclusive stuff in the appearance store in the first one. But there was a lot of stuff where I was just unwilling to spend the amount of money that it was for a majority of stuff that like I could not care any less about. Mm-hmm. So with this, And I know it's only round one of the outfits and gear that we're going to be able to get. Yeah. Again, I don't know what Endgame is going to bring for us. But I can tell you at level 28, I still argue that a yellow armor or gun drop is just as exciting as getting a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants. Yeah. And the fact that that is so rare these days uh, disappoints me. I miss that. It's kind of a bummer to hear, but yeah, it is what it is. I'll take all the right. other all the other improvements over that. Yep, it's but it's a it doesn't like make I said, it sting any less. Very, that was a very nitpicky list. No. Uh, but I had still I, I have to still dig valid. and make sure nothing is perfect. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Is there anything that's sticking out to you that you might not like or I, I don't know that I've played enough for anything to really jump okay. out at me. I'm still kinda in that honeymoon phase where I'm just like, Oh, it's the division finally. <laughs> Everything is awesome. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sure that once I get into it, especially I mean like I really feel like as much time as I don't have <laughs> to devote to this, I'm really gonna wanna get into some endgame stuff because so far I'm really hooked. I really, really enjoyed the division one. Um I think the pvp changes they made as far as like the normalization and stuff is gonna keep me wanting to do that stuff um so i I just i think eventually once i get in start getting into a little bit of that grindy you know build focused minutia that i'll I'll probably have more uh you know negatives or, or nits to pick as far as that stuff goes but right now i'm just having the the time of my life in in this post-apocalyptic wasteland yeah as am i i can't agree with you more this is a high recommend i i'm loving the time so far so i guess uh do you have any anything else we have you want to add before i no that's my question here so i guess the the big question here andrew 
did we did we finally get a solid looter shooter? I I've said it before. Say it again. <laughs> Where do these games die, Brandon? In their end game. In their end game. I'm loving everything about this game. But we haven't even gotten to the main course yet. So let's let, okay. If if we are assuming that the that what you've experienced so far that level of like quality and fun if that carries over to the end game, yes mm-hmm. or no that we've we've got finally got a good looter shooter on our hands here. I think there are other good looter shooter games, Borderlands too. I think. You know, you can make an argument that like dungeon crawlers are kind of looter shooter games like Diablo and Diablo three and stuff. Um, uh, OK, let me. But let in me, terms let of let me like, rephrase in terms of uh, most recently. So most recently in terms of a game that day one. Yes. That, OK, yes. You're, you're going down the track that I was trying to. Yes. I see where you're getting at now. Yeah. I see where you're getting at now. I am just elated that we finally got a game that took what it had learned and implemented into a game previously that had a lot of issues and a lot of roadblocks and barriers that kept it from being a great game and turned it into a really, really, really good game. I wouldn't say it was still a great game. It was a very, very, very good game being division one instead of doing what let's call it a bungee move where they totally scrap everything they did to fix their first iteration of a game. And in the sequel, thus pump out a game that you're like, wait, where was all the stuff that you improved upon? And where was all the stuff that you added? I think this game did a one up even more so in that not only did they take everything they learned from their previous game, but they made quality of life improvements on top of that and gave us things that we didn't even know we wanted or, and or asked about. And in, again, we are still in honeymoon phase, regardless if you're level seven, level two, level 30, whatever it is still honeymoon. And we're not even past the first week of this game being out. Right. Actually we're on right on the week mark right now today. I would say, yes, this is a very good looter shooter. Yes. I should have I should have thrown the uh, the operative phrase here is compared to its contemporaries. <laughs> yes, compared to look, other games that launch on day one yes. to WTF is this WTH is that. Yes, I think this game has gotten nothing but praise from the community overall, aside from some very niche groups of like just dark zone players yeah just pvp players um i think there's some arguments there but i think it's because the playing field has been leveled from the top one percent crapping all over the 99 Mm -hmm. to oh my gosh it's now kind of a 50 50 and the people who are the top tiers don't enjoy that because they've given them viable options to compete yep seen a lot of those threats (laughs) No, I've seen a lot of those. We're definitely that's like stuff. Half of the front page stuff on the division um, subreddit, but uh, I'm loving it. I have yet to spend some viable time into the dark zone. I've yet to even try any of the other specializations outside of the beta. 
I can't wait to get into the end game. I can't wait to see what this game holds. We're only going to talk about this for another hour and 45 minutes again at some point <laughs> next week or the following week. Um, We're already over two <laughs> right now. Yeah, well, I I'm I adore this game. I'm having so much fun with it. Yep. And it's just totally got its claws in me in a way that a game hasn't in a while. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing, nothing to me that is indicative of a dramatic like tonal shift or, or gameplay shift that's going to make me dislike this from what I currently feel. No, nope. so which is which is nice. It's a good. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Yeah, because I think just about this like week in point. I mean, with I know with with Anthem. It was pretty obvious what what you got with Anthem this far in. Anthem was pretty WYSIWYG. <clears throat> yeah, very much so. What you see is what you get, everybody. Um, I think this uh, launch wise. So if we're if we're looking at, I would say the most comparable games to this that have come out recently would be obviously Anthem, Destiny Two, and then to a lesser extent like Fallout Three or Fall Three, Fallout Seventy Six. Mm-hmm. Um. I think this is going to be closer to Destiny, where um, for the most part, you know, it was pretty enjoyable. I think I, th- I feel just immediately just hot take that it's a little more feels a little like it'll be a little more viable than than initial impressions of, of Destiny Two because of mm. the fact that they took what they learned and they kept it and then added to it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's that kind of sums it up. I think it's it, it's it's a good example of what we need to be seeing more of in terms of you know what we get on on day one there's a lot it doesn't feel like there's a bunch of stuff that we need to hurry up and patch this and fix this to make it work before we can start rolling out the cool new stuff like i feel Mm -hmm. we're like a good spot where the cool new stuff is going to come out sooner rather than later like they had initially intended yeah this is not in any way i would say uh eh, wait till it gets good after they release the first like really big patch or expansion i would say no this is a really good game now get on this now so that when the new hotness comes out you're Mm. ready and ready to go get it now if you have had if you're interested in this and you've never played the division one get it if you like the division one get division two Mm -hmm. i think it's pretty pretty cut and dry if you are interested or have been interested in this series uh, i don't think you'll be disappointed yeah and I still urge you to try this, even if you're not into games like Destiny or uh, Anthem or whatever, uh, the likes of looter shooters. Yeah. I still recommend giving it a try because I think it does things that those games fail to just even take into account in terms of your quality of life and just gameplay, etc. Yeah. But if you're really against those types of games, this is definitely not going to be a game for you because it is by and large a looter shooter that is built on numbers and inventory and stock management and build outs and loadouts and play styles. Right. But it is, if you put the time into it and you give it some, a little, a little bit of TLC, I think you'll find a very, very good game here. Yeah. That if really you, defines how a games as a service should play and yeah. should function. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't like ice cream, it's not going to make a difference whether you're eating vanilla or chocolate. But if you do like ice cream and you're not really big on vanilla, maybe give chocolate a try because you might find that it's a flavor you enjoy. Yeah, but if you're lactose intolerant, like go, just don't go. even, just, don't, just even don't even try. Don't yeah, try. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all I have to say. Is there anything yeah. else you want to no, add? No, I think that about wraps it up, Andrew. All righty. Well, as always, you can reach us 
here on Facebook Live every Tuesday around 9 p.m. Eastern time. That is facebook.com slash games and nat. That's games N-A-T. You can also catch us in association with Reggie's House Podcast and all other Reggie's House Podcast associated podcasts. That's at reggieshousepodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast fix, mm-hmm. iTunes, Spotify, etc. Specifically, if you have anything you've got you uh, wanna... Greedo Shot First, their Star Wars podcast, where it's anything and everything Star Wars related, um, as well as Rust Belt Risters, which is a Pittsburgh Penguin-centric hockey podcast. Yes, and both fantastic podcasts if you have not given them a chance. Great hosts. Um, great hosts. Yeah. And if you uh, are listening to our audio podcast, we appreciate you. If you are listening to us, we would really appreciate a rate and review as much as we would on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. So any comments, likes, subscribes, whatever you can give us really helps us boost our page, pushes us to the top and really helps us grow the platform and build that positive that positive. that positive community we tout about at the beginning of every episode. If you have anything you want to say to us, any comments, corrections, feedback, we love to hear your feedback. Please let us know how we can make this show better, more enjoyable for you to listen or see visual or audio. You can email us at the GNA podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's the golf November alpha podcast. Your NATO alphabet. <laughs> Playing so much Division 2, man. So much Division 2. <laughs> um, we would appreciate it. And we're still looking for some listener reviews. What do you guys think of Division 2? What are your takes on it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Why do you love it? Why do you hate it? Yeah. Let us know. Send us a little quick clip. Maybe leave us a comment on our Facebook. Maybe uh, send us an email. And you too could be featured on the show. And we could be talking to you maybe live one day. Yeah. As always... Uh, we're still looking for some segue music too. If you uh, are interested in maybe mildly in music, or maybe you just want to take a dab at dabble at making some segue music, we're looking for some transition music between some different uh, parts of the show that we do. Yeah. So why don't you We'd rather out? get some some cool stuff from the listeners before we just say the hell with it and and start looking on yeah. Fiverr or something? Yeah, I mean, as much as we. Uh, as we love sitting here and talking, I mean, this show really is about involving the community and having a place where people can share their opinions, judgment free and be a part of a, and feel like they're making a difference in something yeah. and having their voice heard. So anything we can do to push that further and further, we definitely want to do that. Absolutely. And as always, Brandon, although we sit here and jib jab and maybe you don't have the money in your bank account to go out and buy division two, but maybe you do and it's the only game you can buy. And you just want to know if what we think about it at the end of the day, Brandon, what do we say to everybody? The only opinion that matters is your own. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>